more than eight Sundays since we actually last had a live service. And it looks, it, believe me, you guys look so much better than a little red light that, that, that blinks on a camera. <laughs> um, what's worst is the way I was recording, I was actually looking at myself. Um, and that wasn't a pleasant view, to be honest. Continuing our series, um, began next week on the Christian Atheist. And um, so, for three years, these guys followed Jesus. For three years, these guys saw amazing things. Things that we just read about, right? Stories that we've heard. Imagine being able to live through that. These guys, they lived through it. They saw all of what was happening. They were a part of this. It was amazing what was going on. They'd never seen anything like it. I mean, the world had never seen anything like it. What a story. What a time to be part of history. They saw it all. That is, it's a new life. And then all of a sudden, they're scratching their heads thinking, what do we do now? It was all great and well, but now what do we do? And a lot of them either went back to a room and, and shut themselves off in fear. Others decided to go back to what they were doing before he came along. They went on fishing. But the greatest story didn't finish with death. Resurrection came. He told them that. He said he was going to come back. He said that he was going to be raised from the dead. They knew what he said, they just didn't think it would happen. And there at the tomb, there was no banners welcoming Jesus back. There were no fanfare or anything. It was a quiet Sunday morning. And the only one really that visited, apart from a couple of half-sleeping guards, was a crying woman. He had to go look for his followers. He had to go search them out in that room where they were hiding. And even then, they didn't believe him. He had to show his scars. And then they were amazed. Wow, if we thought that was great for the last three years, this is amazing. And so they turned to him and said, okay, Jesus, what now? This is amazing. What are we going to Are you going to finally liberate us from the Romans? Are you going to make Israel the enemy of all peoples? takes him up to a hill, and like Neo at the end of the Matrix, he goes flying through the sky up into heaven. And that's it. He literally just tags him and says, you guys are in now. And goes to heaven. And I mean, you, you, when you read that first chapter of Acts, you, know, you can just imagine, they were there long enough for an angel to come around and say, get out of here, go on. He's gone. Shoot. They was probably scratching their heads going, we've been hunted. Jesus is pulling this one on us, isn't he? What? What are we supposed to do? And they stand around, the angel tells them to move on, and they move on. So they start to do what Jesus did. They hunted together. They ate together, they prayed and worshipped together, and then they shared the news about Jesus. 
believe it or not, they were getting the same results as Jesus. Amazing things began to happen. It was like he was actually there with them. Because he did say he would be with them, right? And all these amazing things began to happen. And then they shared the story of Jesus. And then the next generation shared the story of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, it's spread out from the rest of the world. Jesus came with the purpose of reestablishing our relationship with him, to be the bridge to redeem us. Is this not working? Yeah. You're cutting in and out? Oh, am I cutting in and out? Yeah. Italian and Mike, it's like shutting him up, right? How am I going to move my hands? So, can you mute that for me, Bruce? I'll just use the handheld. Cool. So, Jesus came with this express plan to redeem humanity, to rebuild the relationship between humans and God. And he didn't want to just save it for Israel. He wanted the whole world. It wasn't just for the select few, it was for everybody. And yet, with this crazy plan that he had, he chose to come at a time in history when there was no internet, there was no social media, there was no TV, no phones, no all cars. If you had the opportunity to enact a plan on humanity. You, you, were, you had all this power to be able to make this call. You would want some of those features, wouldn't you? But he didn't just stop at that. He didn't come just at the time when there was no TV, no internet, no social media, no phones. Or there were roads, but it was really difficult to get from one place to another, and they were kind of dangerous at times. And You could get on a boat, but the boats weren't always safe. They didn't have toilets. Yeah. He chose a time in history to come that didn't have any of the luxuries that we have today. And then he didn't choose to go to Rome. He didn't choose to go to Athens. He didn't choose to go to, uh, uh, to Alexandria or Jerusalem. He came to Tannenberg. <laughs> Israel's version of Tannenberg. If you were a Kiwi and, and you chose to start your major plan to change the world and you chose Tannenberg, people in New Zealand would look at you kind of weird. That's what Jesus did. But it didn't just stop at Tannenberg. He went to Galilee. And then he went to an even smaller place called Bethsaida. That's where he recruited five of his disciples. Isn't there a town next to Dannyberg called Norsewood? Or yeah, he went to Norsewood. That's the equivalent. And here's the crazy thing: he was on Earth for 33 years, but he only went for about three years on his whole plan. What was he doing for the other 30? I don't know. I mean, again, if you were there, I've got 33 years on Earth. I'm going to use every bit of that time to spread the word. No, he just used three. 
And at 30 in those days, he would have been a grandfather. Why did he wait till 30? Why only three years? Not only that, but he entrusted, like, these 12 people, one who commits suicide at the end. He only entrusted this to 12 people. He had no marketing plan. He didn't maximize his platform. And then he just leaves. Up you go. You guys can do this. And leaves behind 11 wholly unqualified people to run this amazing plan of his. This incredible plan to change the world, which we call church. But look, hey, the early followers, they, they were all in. They, they bet the house on this. They did everything. They, they gave it all. They endured persecution, humiliation, prison, Many of them die for this cause, for this movement. They were so bored into this. They gave up everything. Everything they could possibly give up, they gave up. And for generation after generation, they followed this. But yeah, sure, after a little while, the church went a little sideways. It went from a movement to an institution Sure, you know, it became about power and corruption and politics. But Jesus had made us this promise. He said his church will be founded and not even the gates of hell would be able to withstand it. And many of us, even today, some of you, I'm preaching to the choir, you're here. Some of you get this, even today, that a movement moves, right? It's not for each other. It's for him, and we keep moving. Because that's what movements do. This crazy plan called the church. You go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and you read what this early church, these first believers are doing together. Listen, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, this is the thing they were doing. A thing called fellowship. Fellowship, they were coming together. They, had, uh, they, were, they were not only together, but they had everything in common. We've politicized church so much that immediately some of us will think, oh, it's socialism. No, it's not. It's generosity. They continue on. They not only um, had everything in common, but every they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sissy hearts. 
Sometimes we just wait until Sunday to have communion. No. Break bread in your homes. Come together with glad and sincere hearts. And the great thing about this, you know, it kind of throws every sales pitch out the window when it comes to evangelism. But by being faithful and doing what they're doing, the Lord added to their numbers. That sounds amazing, eh? This fellowship thing. The fellowship of believers. The word for fellowship is koinonia. Sorry, my clicker's not working perfectly right now, but I think that's because I've got the camera sitting right in front of the clicking thing. Koinonia. Koinonia equals fellowship, which in the old English meant intercourse. Yeah, it's not a cool thing. In fact, in uh, his dictionary in 1848 of Americanisms, John Russell Bartlett, this English guy, said, to fellowship with is to hold communion. This barbarism now appears with disgusting frequency in reports of ecclesiastical conventions and religious newspapers generally. It was a euphemism for sex. But if we put the crass aside for a moment, the unity of people coming together as one, that's what fellowship is. They had a pact, the early church, the church fellowship pact. And you know what they did with it? It was all about hanging out together. It was all about serving one another, to care for one another, to learn together, to be challenged, to challenge each other, to give, to grow, and to die for this gospel. That was their pact. that but Paul takes it even a step further in Ephesians 4 2 to 3 he says be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace but he takes it even a step further in Colossians he says therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave. It's a pretty intense pact. What it means to be the church. And here comes our challenge. This crazy plan of God actually works. Believe it or not, against all odds, craziness of it, the absurdity of it, leaving these 11 unqualified people to carry the message to the ends of the earth. 2,000 years later, look at us. This crazy plan actually works. But here's the catch. There are some of us who say they follow Jesus, but reject this crazy plan of his because it's crazy. That's where the Christian atheist comes into play. You know, I, I find it difficult. Honestly, this morning, when my alarm went off at 6.30, it was a rude awakening. 
And I didn't have Monica to kick me out of the bed. I had to do it on my own. Too much carbonara from the night before, yes. More like trying to sledgehammer a, a concrete pillar. Hey, Alan, it's really hurting me holding this mic up like this, by the way. Yeah. Look, it is difficult, but I don't do it for you. I don't do it for a paycheck. I don't do it for some sort of, I don't know, treasures in heaven. I do it because he's asked me to. They didn't pay me, I'd still be here. If I didn't like every one of you, I'd still be here. No problem. It's beside the point. I'm here because it's his plan, not mine, not yours, not anyone else's. It's God's plan. And the crazy thing about it is there is a lot of us, a lot more today, who reject this crazy plan because it's crazy. Yep, no doubt about it. It is crazy. Absolutely crazy. It is hurting. You know, I, a friend of mine who's was part of a big church in town in, in Wellington, he said the future of the church is life groups. That's the future. So he's left his church and he started this whole home group kind of movement. And I said to him, that's great. But with home groups, you pick and choose who you want to be with. With home groups, you hang out with mates. With home groups, you do what you want. Home groups is what we think church should be. There's very little for us to sacrifice with home groups. It is very selfish, to be honest. I'm trying to promote home groups, by the way. <laughs> I think it's actually important. That fellowship is really important. But it's easy. Because you're doing it with people you like. And if you don't like them, you go to another home group or life group, just like you do with church. Right? It's, it's important, don't get me wrong. But this is far more important. Why? Because it's a sacrifice. You know, when people tell me they don't like the music or they don't like this, I'm like, are you willing to sacrifice? People church shop, they go to the churches they like. Why? Because they're doing the things they want. Right? But I've heard all the excuses about this. Oh, I've been hurt by the church. Try being a pastor. <laughs> it's funny, but it's not. I was, I was looking back, we've had these discussions of late, of how does the church now, um, what does the church look like post-COVID? And, and you know, I just had this deja vu because we had this discussion in Christchurch. What does the church look like post-earthquake? And I'll tell you what it looks like. Of the 22 pastors that were there in February of 2011, only five of them are pastoring today. That's what it's going to look like. Don't talk to me about hurts. And I'm not trying to minimize your hurt. I'm sorry if it sounds like it, like I'm doing it. But it's easy to hide behind. 
the faithful ones come here, limping, scars, crutches, and they still come. Other excuses, it does nothing for me. It's not supposed to do anything for you. It does nothing for me. I don't get church. It does nothing for me. I don't like the music. I don't like this. I don't like that. My phones are lovely too. <laughs> don't worry. It's all good. Um, on that note, I was preaching a sermon once in front of my phone while I was videoing it for you guys, and I had about three calls in the space of three minutes. Yeah. That happens. Some people tell me the church is not relevant. <laughs> to who? Who's it not relevant to? What do you mean by that? Doesn't it answer your questions? It's not doing what he wanted to do? You're too busy? Did you hear me the first time, Rob? I'm hurt. Yeah. Yeah, believe me. Christ can tell you a little bit about how much it hurts. It does hurt. Humans are wonderfully wicked and sinful. Beautifully made, yet so flawed. Aren't we? If COVID wasn't enough, or wars now on the cards, what else is going to happen? This is what humanity is, and all the more does it need Jesus. All the more are we relevant. Not because we can connect, but because God can connect. The world suffers when they see us making these excuses to not go to church, to not be part of the community, to not sacrifice. It is a crazy thing. But here's the thing, what would happen if the people who criticize the church put their energy into making it better? Got to change hands. What does that, what would happen? There's so many people who come to me and tell me we should be doing this, we should be doing that. Why are you doing it? Who, who are you waiting for to make it happen? You're waiting for me? You want me to do it? What's, what's holding you back? Here's a challenge for you this week. What is the one way, just one way, you personally can make church greater according to who God has created you to be? What can you do? Rather than waiting on others to do it, what can you do? And it's not just in this place. It's in your homes, it's in your communities. What commitment can you make? What can you do? What one way, just one, this week, that sets you apart from the Christian atheist. You already are set apart, you're here. What's one thing you can do this week to make church great? I am really happy to be here with you this morning. And though at 6.30 I would have rather have slept another couple of hours, 
honestly, I'm far more enriched being here with you all. I'm far more enriched seeing, even if it is for a brief moment, seeing that you're okay in some small way. I'm enriched by that. I'm enriched by the music, whether I like it or not. I was getting worried on that last song, I was about to lose my voice, I was thinking. Gotta preach, hold out, bro. Stop coming up with excuses not to be part of a church. God has blessed you immensely. And as we saw in the video of our fellow believers in Ukraine that are meeting in basements, Just take a moment. I'm not going to say anything. I'm saying something now, but in a moment I'll stop. And at some point the music team will start back up. But just take a moment to think what can you do? What can you do?